Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 287 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. Guys, thank you so much. We are coming in on five years of the podcast. Yeah, that's happening next week. And we got something really fun that we're doing in your honor. One of the frequent pieces of correspondence, and we love hearing from you, is I love this podcast. But man, I'm buying so many books. So uh, to celebrate 9 million downloads, we're pushing it on 10 now and, uh, and five years of this podcast next week. We are going to do a Stack Your Library giveaway. So we're going to choose nine winners who are going to get five books of your choice from any podcast alumni. So we have, yeah, we're pushing 300 episodes now. So you can go back over the entire list and say, I want this book. I want that book. I want that book. Up to five books. Nine of you are going to win. How do you win? You win via the socials. So head on over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On all three platforms, we will be picking winners. So all the details are there. I am Carrie Newhoff on Instagram and C. Newhoff on Facebook and Twitter. If you Google even an approximation of my name, it's C-A-R-E-Y, by the way, for Carrie, uh, you'll find me online. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, guys, thank you. It's been a great journey. We're going to talk more about it next week. Uh, very excited for that. Also, um, what's one area that will directly affect church visitors every Sunday? You know which one? You're like, wow, the lobby, kids ministry. Actually, it's your website. Nobody visits a church these days without first visiting the website. So the question is, is it appealing? Is it updated? Have you looked at it in the last two years? Uh, a good website's going to directly impact your ministry. That's why our friends at Pro Media Fire, who many of you are using now, are launching something brand new the Pro Web Fire subscription service this month. They're going to build you a custom website through it, update it weekly as per your plan. Yeah, more staffing you don't have to make. They'll do it for you. So because they're partners of this podcast this month, the listeners of this podcast will receive a free custom website build for the plan you choose. That's right, a free custom church website to help with your church growth. It's an amazing launch special. It's brand new, time-limited. So go to ProWebFire.com, ProWebFire.com. Use the promo code CAREY2019, C-A-R-E-Y 2019 at ProWebFire.com. So that's ProWebFire.com, promo code CAREY2019. And you can get started with your free custom website build with the plan that you choose. Also, hey, a lot of people ask me, our team's always growing. Kerry, who do you turn to? when you need staff, particularly when you need staff fast. And you know what the answer is? It's Belay. Belay is a virtual staffing solution. They have supplied me with several great high quality team members over the last few years. And if you want to learn more, you can go to belaysolutions.com forward slash carry. That's belay, B-E-L-A-Y solutions.com forward slash carry. And um, tell them I sent you. I, I got to tell you, I am so grateful for their partnership. And if you're looking for a virtual staffing solution, they can help far more than you think. And now on to today's episode. I'm so thrilled to have J.D. Greer. He is the pastor of the Summit Church, also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention this year, one of their youngest presidents or the youngest in 40 years. 
And Todd Wilson, president and CEO of Exponential. A lot of you know Exponential. And they are talking all about multiplying, reproducing churches. So multiplication is the future, not just, I think, in church world, but in business world. We know we have a growing number of business listeners. And one of the things I think is fun about this podcast is as a church leader, I learn from the business space, but I'm running into a growing number of business leaders who are saying, guess what? We're learning from you too. So these guys are brilliant and we have a full hour conversation on why reproducing churches, multiplying churches are the future of the church and how even if you're not really growing that fast right now or maybe even declining, you've got a stake in this. You got to listen to the end for that, but hang on. So you're like, well, I'm, you know, our church is small and not influential. Hey, our business is small, not influential. Listen into what these guys are saying. It's brilliant. And this is in partnership with Outreach Magazine who has a full cover, uh, like I think a third of the issue of the September issue is about reproducing churches. So we do a deep dive on it now with the president of Exponential, Todd Wilson, and J.D. Greer, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Whether you're Baptist or not, you're going to find this incredibly helpful. So here is my conversation with J.D. Greer and Todd Wilson. Well, J.D. and Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Kerry. Yeah, good to have you back, Todd and J.D. Welcome for the very first time. Uh, Do a real quick introduction. I mean, I gave a bio at the very beginning, but just a real quick introduction about who you are and what you do and um, why you're so passionate about what we're going to talk about. JD, why don't we start with you? Because it's your first time here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I'm pastor of the Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham part of North Carolina. Um, Been here since 2002. It was not a church plan. It was a, I guess you call it a church revitalization and uh, of all the many things that God blessed our church with, one of them that was a mixed blessing, mostly positive, was college students. Always the college students, uh, they didn't bring a lot of money into our church. Uh, when college students first started to flood into our church, our, our attendance basically tripled in about three weeks because college students travel in herds. And our average weekly giving went down $13. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's right. But we knew that we had a lot of people that were going to be there for four to six years. Um, and so we started to kind of put this vision out in front of them of, hey, let's, uh, you know, instead of just getting a job somewhere that you can make money, why not let the kingdom of God be the largest factor in, that informs where you choose to pursue your career? We always tell them, you know, you got to get a job somewhere. Why not get a job in a place where God's doing something strategic? And that vision really started to catch on. And so it translated into a goal of planting a thousand churches out of our church by 2050. And I would say of the many things that God's blessed our church with, that might be one of the most exciting um, is seeing churches that we planted. I think our numbers right now are somewhere a little less than 50 domestic plants and about 260 overseas that have involved sending out about 1,200 of our members who have uprooted their lives and gone to live over in one of those places. And I I love seeing our church grow here. I love reaching people in the triangle, but I I think it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, fairly well, I don't know if I'm still called fairly young, Kerry, but I still feel fairly <laughs> But I've heard from grandparents that, you know, the joy that you have in your kids' successes is even bigger than your own successes. And so I feel that way about our church plants. When, you know, I hear about the, the way they're going and the way they're multiplying, it's, it's amazing. I really, just through the study of the New Testament and through my own experience, became increasingly convinced that the future of, the future of, of church planting, the future of the spread of the gospel is not is not found in churches that grow ginormous because of the, you know, the anointing of one individual, but 
It's through churches that know how to raise up leaders and send them out into the harvest. And so um, that's kind of the, you know, the experience and uh, conviction I'm bringing to it. Um, you know, now serving in this other capacity I serve in, which is president of the, of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention, it's allowed me a, a place to t- take that vision and say, hey, this ought to be the norm for churches. And we ought to also measure our, our success, not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. Oh, that's great. So, J.D., just to clarify, because it's a pretty big vision and you went through it pretty quickly, but you want to have a thousand, planted a thousand churches by the year 2050? 2050. I, I feel like in 2050, if I haven't retired yet, somebody's just going to take me out. So <laughs> hopefully by that point, it'll, I will have already handed it off. But yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And you're well into the 200s, like pushing 300? Yeah, yeah, right. just a little bit over 300 total is the, is the number right now. Now, we do count churches that our churches plant also, so we count grandkids mm-hmm. in that. Um, we're, we're set on the trajectory we're on. We've allowed for a 20% fail rate, you know, just to be safe. And um, we're set to hit it well before 2050. It's incredible. Wow. And then, Todd, give us uh, as president and CEO of Exponential, nuclear Navy alumnus, I get excited about the things JD's talking about, the uh, churches that raise up leaders and send leaders out. I uh, currently have the privilege of leading Exponential. We like to say we're activists for healthy church multiplication. Uh, We see less than 10% of churches in the United States with a scorecard of reproduction, and we want to see that become the new normal on the scorecard. Uh, Sociologists say you've got to get to about 16% of a behavior for it to be the normal. Uh, We got a long ways to go, but... uh, Things are looking up. It's really exciting what's happening with churches and glad to be here today to talk about things. I'm looking, I don't you know what everybody can see, but I'm looking right over Todd's head and there's Yoda. And there's just such <laughs> uncanny. I mean, we're talking the wisdom coming out of Todd's mouth and then just the way he looks. It's like, I feel like I'm talking to Yoda. This is an amazing experience. The Yoda church. You your Jedi training, my young apprentice. Perfect. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> we'll have to change the episode to include Yoda now. Thank you. He, I, I didn't know he spoke. Todd, that's pretty impressive. I'm going to have to move that, I think. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, there's been so much written, and I've, I've been partly guilty of that, on church growth, and everyone talks about church growth. But you guys are trying to uh, draw a distinction between church growth and church multiplication and reproducing churches. So um, I think I think in the exponential uh, resources, and we've heard people talk about it, Yoda's left the building. It's good. Yoda has left the building. He'll Yoda. keep talking about every five minutes now. I forget that he keeps coming back. I thought he was just going to apparate, but no. He <laughs> picked him up and carried him, so I'm a little disappointed in that. So we were saying the five levels of multiplication, right? Uh, do you want to walk us through those real quick, Todd? Because I think you and Dave Ferguson came up with them. And then I really want to focus on the distinction between what is the difference between a growing church, a reproducing church, and a multiplying church? Right. So uh, the approach that we've taken at Exponential, uh, you know, the, the Bible gives us a lot of clarity on be fruitful and multiply. And, you know, they added to their numbers daily. And uh, But we like to turn to just the pure math. If you look at math principles, you you really have five different categories of math that you can put just about the behavior of anything into. You have subtraction, and we all see that curve in our mind, a declining trend, plateauing, uh, a flat line, growing or adding uh, a line that's going up, reproducing is just an accelerated form of adding, 
And we'll talk more later about the difference in adding and reproducing. And then multiplying is that exponential up curve. Um, we just simply labeled those five categories, subtracting, plateauing, adding, reproducing, and multiplying five levels. Now, really for this conversation, the thing that's important is levels one, two, and three, subtracting, plateauing, and adding. Those are the life cycle of any organization, any ministry, any church, the human body. If you think about the human body, it grows, it plateaus, and it declines. A 90-year-old- Unless you're JD, who will be very vibrant by 2050. By 2050, still, yeah, not hit that Mm -hmm. much. There we go. No, you're right, but every business too, it's the cycle of life, right? Every has that life cycle. It's a cycle of life. Jim Collins wrote about it in How the Mighty Fall. You get the life cycle of- of growth, plateau, and decline. And some of us get a couple of cycles of it as churches. But inevitably, for 2,000 years, every church's fate ends up in the same place. It's, you know, in a in both a negative and a positive way, we, we die like the human body at some point. So we can characterize levels one, two, and three. 100% of churches in the United States experience the level one, two, and three, growth, plateau, decline. Not all churches experience the reproduction multiplication. It's a much smaller set that are that way. And we, we don't need to go into the business side, but even in businesses, businesses grow, plateau, decline, but not many actually reproduce or multiply. And it's the same way in churches. So JD, can you walk us through what your definition of reproducing and multiplying are level four, level five? Yeah, well, I actually, I learned a lot from Todd and, and Dave and those guys. I mean, it's been good. It was helpful to see them distinguish between reproducing and multiplying. And the way we've tried to translate it into our vision is using the you know, movement language, which I know is a little bit trendy. Um, but when you start thinking about, about churches that not only plant churches, but that plant churches that plant churches and building that into the DNA from the beginning, um, you know, we asked them all to commit to planting a church within the first five years of their existence. And, you know, that way they can just kind of begin with that vision in mind. And so we have churches that, I mean, they're, you know, six months old, 250 people in them, and they're already, you know, kind of meeting with a core group of 10 or 15 of them to think about going somewhere else and planning a church. I just think that has got to be part of the mentality. And honestly, it's a little, it's difficult sometimes for a leader um, to think like that because your, you know, <laughs> your people are your greatest resources, you know, and, 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 and to give some of your best away is, is kind of, it's just, it just feels, it feels crazy. You know, it's, it's, it, it, I always tell leaders, it's kind of like, um, we're being asked to believe and put into practice the same thing that most of us pastors teach their, you know, our people about, about giving, you know, nobody says to, to their church members, like, Hey, if you got 10% laying around at the end of the month and you can't figure out what to do with it, job of a candidate for that. You, you say, give your first and your best and watch God bless and multiply that. Well, you know, I, sometimes I think the reason that our, our, our congregation members don't believe that about their money is they don't see us believing that with our most valuable resource, which is the leaders. And so we've just tried to say, let's, let's open our hands and teach our church plants to open their hands and say, we're going to be about, about the seed that multiplies and not just the you know, the one place that grows. And, and as an example, Carrie, um, Andrew Hopper is one of JD's uh, planters. Why, why don't you just tell us about Andrew? Because Andrew's to the second, I, I mean, he was a plant of you and they've planted. And I think, aren't right. they about uh, 
you know, see grandchildren themselves. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, you know, because now we're at a place where it's no longer just like the summit network, because that was kind of our own internal network of churches. Is it Andrew um, in Greensboro at Mercy Hill? There's several thousand people big now. They've planted churches who are now planting churches and they kind of got their own network. So the question is, do we do we the summit want to own that network? Or are we trying to be a network of networks that just releases and keeps it multiplying? I remember the first year, I can't, I think Todd, it may have been four years ago when out when Outreach Magazine comes out every year with their hundred fastest growing churches and biggest, you know, I mean, every pastor will deny it, but we all kind of get that and and we kind of look to see like, you know, who's on it, where are my friends on it. So, you know, being a vain person, which whatever, you know, I I I I open it up, I look to see where the summit church is. And I think that year we were like number I don't know, 61 or something like that. And uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well, at least we made the top 100. And then I look up, oh, let's see who made the top 15. And uh, and I look and I see Andrew Hopper's name. He's number 11 on the list. And I felt two emotions. One was like, I, we just planted that guy. Now he's on the, and I felt like the, you know, the, I felt like the dad who's, you know, middle school kid had beaten him for the first time at, at basketball, you know? And I was like, I sent him a text. I'm like, just saw this. Just want you to know, punk, where you came from, you know? Uh, we put you into this world. We'll take you out. And he, uh, you know, but he, um, it, it, but it, at the same time, there was, it's just a lot of joy in it. You know, what I was saying about your kid's success. And, and now on a given Sunday morning, um, there are more people in churches that we planted in the United States than are a part of the summit church. And that's trend that, that curve, you know, somebody brought the curve a minute ago. That curve is just going to skyrocket in the years to come. And Carrie, I, I think it's important to note um, in, in the idea of, reproducing with the uh, the grandkids that uh, a study was done last year that uh, 76% of church plants don't quickly get involved in church planting, meaning only one out of four church plants turns around and plants. That's one of our big problems. When JD's talking about wanting to see a thousand churches in 50 years, and it's kids who have kids who have kids, that's the key. That's where we're way behind in the U.S. church right now is we're planting kids or we're having kids that are not then having kids. And then that's. I'm sorry, Todd, I was going to no, jump go in there, said something really profound. Um, I noticed that more and more insights from the international mission field um, for us, you know, outside of the North American context are becoming increasingly relevant for church you know, growth and church planting here. Um, I started my own ministry as a missionary over in Southeast Asia in a Muslim unreached people group. And one of the principles over there was called the heresy of sequentialism. I think it was coined by a guy named David Garrison. And he said, the heresy of sequentialism is that things in Christianity you learn like a 101, 201, 301, 401. That, that's not to say you never use that terminology, but you know, like, well, you learn to share and multiply, you know, later, like for six months, let's just do theology and it, you, you, but what you see from Jesus is from the beginning, he is saying, go home to your friends and tell them how great things he's done for you. And so multiplication is built into the life of the believer from, in some ways you could argue, before he even accepts Christ. And so I think a lot of churches, like you're referring to, Todd, they get into this idea of, you know, well, we're not healthy enough to plant. We need to wait until we have 500 or 1,000. And once you go to that, it's, no, it's not even part of your DNA anymore. It's got to be a discussion from day one. Well, I'm glad you went back there because I want to I want to pick up on that thought. Like when you were saying earlier, you have church plants that are a year in for argument's sake. They have 250 people. They're already meeting with 10 to 15 people they're going to send out. That's a little bit 
contrarian because there would be some listening who would say, well, how do you know that 250 person thing is even healthy? What do you have to reproduce? And almost every leader you talk to is like, if I got 10 to 15 people in that context, I'm hanging on to them for dear life. So uh, talk to me about that. Like, how do you, because I think you're right. I think that is really contrarian thinking. And so how do you overcome those fears and objections that you would naturally have, or even criticisms that would say, we barely know how to open the doors on Sunday. What are we doing reproducing? Yeah. Well, Todd, I have a, a probably a, a, a very summit-centric answer, but I imagine you've, you've observed this a lot. So I'll give mine, and then I'd be interested in what you had to say. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, for us, I mean, that I want to be realistic, Kerry, because there are some considerations that, you know, God does expect us to use our heads in this. and. Yeah. There are moments and times where it's just not, you know, realistic. Um, if for you know, because of some things going on in the church, because there is unhealthiness, um, or I mean, I'll give you a, just again a very hopefully not too raw of an example. But when God really began to grow our church in the area of of diversity, um, you were taking a, a largely white church, and and we were on that that kind of curve headed up to twenty percent, you know, non Anglo, and God had really given us some 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 strong African American leaders who were instrumental in that. Well, I told our, we have our four church planting residents um, every year, and we give them an open head hunting license and to say, whoever you can recruit, whoever you can convince, it's open season, you can take them. But I realized that that because of how fragile this diversity thing was for us, that I was like, but but please don't go after in your top, you know, kind of pick our diverse leaders, because right now they're, they're very instrumental in something we think God is doing here. If they, if the circumstances are such that they, God puts it on their heart, that's fine. But don't don't pick low hanging fruit. And so I think you know, just I'm using that as an example. Yeah, there are times that you got to kind of be cautious. But I would just say for most pastors, um, they end up being naturally cautious, like that comes instinctive. And where they need to push themselves is toward kind of the risk, the open of the hands. If you find somebody that's too open handed, you might talk them back. I mean, same way if I had a congregation member that literally every time we took an offering gave their entire rent check, you know, and I, I would say, Hey, you know, like the, the stop being so generous, you know, this, but most people are, most people are more protective and they, they hoard rather than open their hands. Carrie, my, uh, I, I need to take a little bit of a path to get to the answer, just to kind of unpack a little bit more the difference between growing, adding, reproducing, and multiplying. Um, if we think, if we go back to that idea of growth, we can have growth in three ways. We can have growth by addition. We can have growth by reproduction, we can have growth by multiplication. And understanding the differences uh, in those three, I, I think, can help us answer the question you're asking, too. So here's here's kind of under the hood of addition, reproduction, multiplication. Um, you can add without reproducing. I can take one pencil that's sitting on the table and take another pencil and put it on the table, and I have added but I have not reproduced the first pencil. Hmm. Now, the corollary of that is you cannot reproduce without adding. Okay, you got to embrace that idea. You can add without reproducing, but you can't reproduce without adding. Can you explain a little bit more about that? What do you, what do you yeah, mean? How, how can you not? So here's, here's the example. If I take a pencil or let, let's, yeah, pencil, and I've got a pencil sitting on the desk. And I, and I want to reproduce that pencil. How do I reproduce the pencil? It's an inanimate object. 
it can't reproduce itself. A human egg or a human cell can reproduce itself. When one becomes two, because one evolves from one to two, that's reproduction. If it takes an external action, if there's one pencil sitting on the table and I go grab a second pencil and I set it for next to the first one on the table, I have added, I've not reproduced. Right. Now, at the flip side of that is, if I've now, let's use the human egg. If I've got a human egg that's you know fertilized and it goes from two cells to four cells to eight cells, it's reproducing two become four, they're reproducing themselves. And there's no way to reproduce without adding. You're yeah. guaranteed to add if you reproduce. But the message we've got to take away from that is what really matters is how we add. Growth is good. Growth comes by addition. But the key is how do we add? And here's, here's for me, the tension I have with how we're doing church. We add programmatically. That's the operating system in the U.S. church. We add programmatically. Let me ask you this. What program in the history of church has ever reproduced itself? <laughs> programs do, they're like pencils sitting on the table. Programs do not reproduce. Programs consume resources. They don't reproduce. Only people reproduce. So the form of addition that we need are people, disciple makers who make disciples who make disciples. It's disciples that are reproducing themselves. That's the kind of addition we want. So if I go back to your original question, how do you take a church of 250 that's only a year old and they can reproduce? Well, they're probably not ready to reproduce programmatically. If we take the normal approach of we're trying to reproduce programs, they may not be mature enough. But are there 10 disciple makers out of 250 that have the ability to reproduce themselves? Absolutely. We're just not seeing it the right way. We're seeing it programmatically, not from a disciple-making perspective. So, okay, that's really helpful, really clarifying. Let's go back to uh, top leaders, what you were saying, JD. So it's like open season, take who you want. You want to take the top donor, take the top donor, right? That's what everyone's thinking while you're saying that. You, you want to take my best elder, you want to take the best like discipleship person we have, go ahead. Obviously, that's an abundance mentality. And this keeps showing up in episode after episode of, of this show. And I don't think scarcity mentality gets you to the top, yet scarcity mentality is a very real thing. So the person, the leader, whether this is in business or the church, who's thinking, well, yeah, do you know how long it took me to get that top volunteer? Do you know how long I've nurtured these donors? How has that played out in your context? And how do you find, because clearly you lead a church. How many people is a summit in attendance? About 12,000 on the weekend. Yeah, so 12,000 on the weekend. It's not like you're sitting there with four people left going, oh, you know. Like it's turned out okay for you. So can right. you just unpack that a little bit to understand how generosity fuels surplus? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I do want to be clear just because I don't want to set unrealistic expectations. I feel like for years I went to conferences and heard like things that were, you know, grandiose. You know, we do teach our planters to not just go for low hanging fruit. Like, you know, we say that most of the people that they're taking out ought to have been people that grew up in their ministries, you know? So, yeah. and we try to inculcate that. I just want to make sure that's clear, but Having said that, every year, um, we usually, it's usually um, second, second, third week in May, 
we will line up as many people as we can get in the congregation who are being sent out that fall to leave membership and go out outside the church. And every year, Carrie, I, I wish I could tell you this was getting better. Every year I have a moment of, of it's panic because it's usually, you know, 100, 150 people standing across the stage. And that's usually the first time that I, I, I kind of like it dawns on me who it is. And I'm looking across the stage and I'm seeing worship leaders and I'm seeing elders and I'm seeing big donors. I mean, not that I know who gives what, but I mean, yeah. come on. You have a rough idea. And you're like, no, not you, not you. Hey, send him back. Um, you know, but it's, it, it's one of those things that the first year I did it, I actually pulled my hands out. This wasn't even in front of the congregation. It was just, you know, me having a little moment back there with God by myself. I pulled my hands out and I opened them up. It's kind of this symbol that I was like, God, this is your church, not mine. And if you're going to grow this church by adding to our number, then we're ready to receive that. But if you're going to grow the kingdom by taking things out, then it, it's not my church. I didn't die for this church. It's not my blood that you know gave birth to this church. It's, it's your church. And so you show me the kind of instrument we're supposed to be. What I found is that that has led to not just a multiplying culture. It's actually contributed to our own growth um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'll start with the spiritual one. Um, I mean, it's at principle, every pastor teaches in at, you know, on giving Sunday or whatever, it's that you just can't outgive God. You just, God not play a game every year. And it's like how, and I, he wins, he's, you know, he's 50 and oh, probably, you know, but it's just, can't outgive him. Um, and the same thing is true with, with our leaders is God take the five loaves and the two fish. And all of a sudden, I mean, what we all, you know, we always talk about the, the you know, 5,000 that got fed, but the little boy that gave it went back home with five loaves. I mean, with 12 baskets full, his, you know, resources were overflowing. That's the spiritual blessing The you know, to, to, uh, like, a, a secular, maybe, um, what they found in business is there, there's a, a, a woman, a, a business guru named Liz Wiseman who yeah. wrote a great book called the multiplying leader. I, I don't know if, if she's a believer or not, but she just, she didn't write, you know, as a Christian book, but she talked to, she used this example of how, at one point in Jack Welch's um, leadership heyday, you know, as, as CEO of GE, it's at one point, like an absurd number of CEOs of other Fortune 500 companies had come off of his upper leadership team. And you could look at that and say, oh, well, Jack just didn't know how to keep good talent. But she said, actually, on a deeper look, you find it's the opposite. It's that he had a reputation for not only developing talent, but he was so committed to them becoming their full potential that when it was time to let somebody go, he would not only allow it, he would actually facilitate it. He'd make phone calls for them. And that created this kind of um, leadership, you know, kind of vacuum, this culture where leaders flock to be, you know, to be a part of his team. And for every one he sent out, like three more would pop up in their place. Well, we found that here as well. I mean, for every, you know, I talked about Andrew Hopper, for every one Andrew Hopper we sent out, it's like they just more just keep springing up, um, you know, around here. And I think it comes from that leadership culture that that happens through giving away. Anything to add to that, Todd? I love that answer. I happened to visit the summit. The first time I visited there was one of these Sundays they were sending out. And it it is a powerful moment. I mean, it's there. There were probably 80 people on the stage at the campus I was on that they were commissioning to be sent at one point. So uh, I'm realizing now you don't do that every week, J.D., <laughs> this is not law of attraction stuff at all, but I'm just saying, is it that when you create that kind of culture, you attract a different kind of leader? 
You do. I mean, my wife and I were there visiting and there was a part of me that wanted to go up on the stage and be sent. And we were just visitors to the church. I mean, there's something about the moment when you see something bigger than yourself happening with the people around you. Yeah. 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 I I think Todd's exactly right. I also think it attracts to us, whether it's college students or seminary students or, you know, people just, we just, I just met a guy today who moved here. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm at a transition point and I just feel like this is a place I want to be um, because, you know, I'm, I, he just jumped. He didn't even jump in the resident track. He just jumped in the one of the lower we have interns and apprentices. And he jumped in there and said, I'm going to be here for a couple of years and hopefully at some point I can be sent out. And I, you know, I was like, great, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it, it takes it. But it calls forth a different kind of leader. The thing you don't want to overlook is, is it also from so-called regular people in your congregation? You know, they start seeing people and they're like, wait, you know, it's like. I know that guy and he's not that amazing. And he's, it it creates this kind of, you know, cultural expectation of them too. No, this is really good. This is really good. I I, I love that. And I would guess too, as one of the problems with a lot of organizations, particularly if they have long-term ministry and you're certainly moving into the realm of 17 years, long-term ministry in one place. One of the challenges I think a lot of organizations face is that they age with the leader. So the leader starts at 25, 20 years later, everybody's 45, 20 years after that, everybody's 65. It also creates a glut at the top where everybody is just, you know, you're my tribe, you're my people, we're not going to renew. How do you find that playing out at the summit in terms of creating senior vacancies? Is that actually a talent accelerator? Like something tells me it would be, or alternatively, the six of us who started the church are the six of us who are here forever and ever and ever. And, you know, eventually it's forever and ever and ever, and there's no young leaders in the place. Do you want to speak to that for a moment? That's that's a great question. And again, I'm going to try to be honest and not too idealistic. And some of the stuff, Gary, I may may end up maturing on, you know, later and saying I wasn't the right to say it. But I mean, keep in mind, you know, I started this church when I was 10. So 17 later, I'm, only, I'm you know, 20, I'm still a young man. still 27, man. correct. Still 27. So, um, no, you know, it's like, obviously, we've had some of our upper leadership that has gone, and that has created vacancies. And those are vacancies that were painful at first, but God abundantly blessed. But also, just to be realistic, I would say that it's not a ton of our senior leadership, at least on the staff level, that mm-hmm. ends up going on some of these churches. Um, but... It what it, it provides is you know I've got a, I've got a, a chief of staff this is you think of as an executive pastor he and I are probably going to work together to the day that we that we die I, 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 I you know and so guys that have the capacity to be him young guys I mean they're they're probably not going to be able to stay at our church because he's not going to go anywhere for you know twenty thirty years but the fact that he is able to mentor those guys to go on one of our church plants. It means that we get them for 5, 10, 15 years. So even though the spot is not necessarily my executive pastor, there is a spot and it create. You know, I want the, we, we're able to have those guys here. So I don't want to create the expectation that you're just turning over your executive leadership team every you know, two years. But, but there is ways that this can contribute to a healthy reproduction environment, even if it's not on your own church staff. Now, I'm glad we've camped on this mindset thing a lot because I think it is a mindset and I think there's a lot of fear associated with sending and reproducing. Anything else on that before we move on? Because I've, I've got lots of other questions to ask, but anything else on sort of that abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset, uh, releasing versus grabbing and anything else on that before we move on? 
I have a couple of thoughts about the heart of a leader that kept me from that. I don't know if, are, are you going di- to dive into that later? Or is this a good time? No, to you up? go, you go. Well, I, I think the biggest obstacle for me, Carrie, honestly, in looking back over the last 17 years, I, I, we probably, it was kind of in our DNA from the beginning. Cause like I said, I came off the mission field, but I, for five or six years, I, it was nowhere really on my like radar screen. And yeah. I look back now and realize that the number one, the number one competitor for us doing this was my own selfish kind of ego and my idolatry. Every pastor is, you, you know, thinks like I want a great big church and a great big budget and great big attention for the guy behind it all, right? And you know, because because ministry is a great place for guys with the idol of success to hide because you can cloak all your ambition in spiritual language. And it's like, oh, you know, it's I did this all for God when, you know, it's it's really been a lot about about me. And that didn't that's the place that showed up was my own attitude toward our church's growth. And that kept me from giving. I was praying um, one afternoon uh, just for I, I like taking a day of prayer. And I was praying that God would bless the triangle, the Raleigh Durham area with the kind of revival, the awakening that you you hear about in the history books. I was like, you know, Lord, I remember thinking like, Lord, 100 years from now and they tell the story of, of Raleigh Durham. I want I want to see be a part of something that 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 they would talk about in a secular book. And um, it was one of those moments. I don't have many of these, but it was one of those moments where the spirit of God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but it might as well have been audible. And the spirit of God was like, "Okay, what if I say yes to this prayer and I do something in Raleigh, Durham that will change the trajectory of the city? But what if I don't use your church to be a part of that? What if I somebody else's church and they get big and they make the history book and you're not, you, you don't even get the footnotes. And I know, I know what the right answer there. I know the right answer is, Oh yes, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. I, that's the right answer, but that would not have been the real, the accurate answer. And I just, I remember thinking that is not, no, it, it needs to include <laughs> JD Greer in the summit church. And it was at that moment that I think the spirit of God really just sort of right in my face said, you've been standing up in front of all these people saying, thy kingdom come. And what you really meant was my kingdom come, or maybe our kingdom come. Mm. And it was a, 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 an area of deep repentance. Um, now, I would love to tell you that I've, I've, I've licked it. You know, it's, it's, it's in the back. It, it shows up literally every, every month in some way in, in here. But it is an idol I had to wrestle with because only – only when I'd taken my hands off of my personal interest in the church, the big budget, the, the nice salary package for a pastor of a mega church, only when I'd taken off all my hands off of that stuff did God begin to say, okay, now I'm going to start growing the kingdom through you and not just your little, your little fiefdom. Thank you for your honesty. And, I've, I've felt that tension too. I still feel it. It's like it never really leaves you. Is it? I wrote about that and didn't see it coming. My last book, the seventh chapter is on emptiness and, as I wrestled that down writing that book last year, it was really, it's the difference between my kingdom and God's kingdom. And on the days where I'm miserable, on the days where I'm like, this is all about me, I realize, oh, it's because it's all about me today. And on the days where I surrender and I release, uh, there's more fullness there. Todd, any any thoughts it, on that? Yeah, it's interesting, Carrie. We had a team a couple of years ago uh, that, that worked on these five levels of multiplication, uh, national team. And they actually came up with a list of internal tensions and external tensions, the internal being in the heart of the leader, things that hold the leader back from this reproduction and multiplication. 
And they they came up with like 12 things. It's a bit overwhelming. Things like ego and pride and fear and unbelief and safety and competition. Um, But then they also came up with a list of like 20 external factors. The realities of once you've got a church up and running, the reality is you got to feed the children's ministry with a certain number of volunteers. And those are the same people that may want to be sent somewhere. And so um, these 12 internal tensions, these 20 external tensions, really the common thing on both internal and external is the scorecard of the leader. What does does the leader measure success by? This conviction that JD had that, you know, God says, hey, uh, what if I'm going to do it through another church? Um, and, And the idea of seeing your scorecard, not by how many you accumulate in the church you're in, but by how many you send collectively to the churches you're reproducing. And that's that scorecard change is at the heart of overcoming these internal barriers and the external ones. Yeah, I appreciate that. JD, can I ask you, uh, and, and this again, we have lots of business listeners as well as uh, church listeners, but um, one of the, like you look at um, Jim Collins, who I think we've already quoted in this interview, and you look at his level five leadership, the difference is humility, right? So in other words, super talented, uber talented, but there's a humility that doesn't want to claim all the success. Can you just walk us a little bit deeper through how that heart shift, mind shift happened for you or how it continues to happen? Because I understand it's an ongoing journey. Like that's not easy. I was talking to Patrick Lencioni recently. He'll be on the podcast again. And his next book is all about motive, the motivation of a leader. I cannot wait to get my hand on that. Well, one of my favorite things, again, I I think Lencioni, I'm not commenting on the faith journey of any of these guys because I know some are believers, but, you know, they write in more of the secular workspace. But it's interesting how, I love it when they kind of, whether they stumble onto or it's intentional, they stumble onto the pattern that God wrote into creation. Because, yes. you know, when Jim Collins, again, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but when he's writing about the characteristics of that level five leader, you're like, this sounds like the Christ-like leader that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, Liz Wiseman, you know, I'd say a similar thing. Um, there's a, a book that I read years ago before, I think it was before Lencioni was, was at least really big on the scene. It was by the Arbinger Institute. Oh yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah, so they were a book called Leadership and Self Deception. Oh, it's it was, a great book. Yeah, it's 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 like it's like a parable about a guy who basically discovers the inward sin nature, you know, and he realizes this has been sabotaging him the whole time in his relationship. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is Romans one in parable form by somebody that you know doesn't know the Bible. And um, but it's 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 a way that God just built humans to flourish. Is He built us to flourish when we're like Jesus? And, you know, it's, I think it's part of what Jesus meant when is, you know, when you hold on to your life, you lose it. And when you open your hands, you, you gain it. Yes, that is a, 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 a principle given specifically for the believer, but it corresponds to a pattern in creation. And what you find is that is that companies that, you know, to use Jim Collins word are more about, you know, the, the purpose of what they're doing than just the bottom line. Well, they're the ones that start to feel a deep meaningness in there, a meaningfulness in there. And, and for us, it was kind of like, all right. So what is the, the, the mission? The mission, you know, is not how big the Summit Church can be. The mission is, you know, God coming and, and blessing the triangle. I'll give you one other. You, you asked about the journey for me. Um, yeah, yeah. I was a missionary uh, when I started. And so um, I was actually in the region where the tsunami came through uh, in, uh, if you remember that, 2004. Oh, yeah, that I, I do. 2004. Yep. Christmas. Mm-hmm. 
So a hundred thousand people in my little region died, you know, in that, in that thing. And so I go back like two or three months later after the tsunami and I go back into this region and, um, I remember I passed underneath the gates of this, this city. And as I did it, I had all these old like emotions of like, cause I was literally the only gospel witness in that region. Um, you, know, me and my roommate, we were the only people that had ever lived there with the, you know, intentional purpose of, of, of sharing Christ. And I, I felt like a sense of ownership about that city. I'm like, these are my schools. This is, these are you know, my neighborhoods. I'm, and I remember just as, as, as I was going through this mentally, it was, you know, the spirit of God was like, you know, why don't you feel like that about your own city that you live in now and you pastor in, in the United States. And cause I realized that I, I kind of looked at it like, Our city was a host culture out of which I was drawing people up into our church, but my church was the focus, not the city. And and, and it was was a small shift. You probably wouldn't even have heard it if you'd have been listening to the sermons that I was preaching then. But the small shift was, okay, a couple big things. One, um, if God uses us to reach our city by growing us big, fine. But if God uses us to reach our city by giving away our resources and plant a bunch of other churches, then that's also fine because the point is not the summit church. The kingdom of God is not the summit church. The kingdom of God is what he's doing in this city. And we're going to be the servant of that and not try to be, um, you know, be the point of it. Um, The other thing that really changed was we started to really develop a love for the city itself and Mm -hmm. say, um, we want to bless the city. Uh, I met with the mayor and I was like, give me the five most broken areas in the triangle and we're just going to develop a plan for him. And so he gave them to me. And to this day, the homeless, the orphan, the prisoner, the unwed mother, and the high school dropout, um, we have, have really tried to build ministries around those so that we could just be there to bless. That, that was a fruit of a mind shift, a mindset shift that went from that went from, you know, it being about the church and being more about about God's kingdom, if, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, that's great. You know, just a little bit of trivia. I don't know that he wrote about it, but I've heard him interviewed a few times, Jim Collins, on that level five learning. And he does a lot of research. Like this is all quantifiable analysis. He had his team in the lab and they came back and they're like, yeah, there's this one characteristic that we can't figure out exactly what it is. We have to call it humility. And he's like, that's not scientific. Go back and work on the data. This is like Collins, right? And and so they kept, and the more he looked at it, he's like, oh my gosh, you guys are right. And you know, sometimes when he talks about it, he's still like, yeah, there's just this humility thing. And it is the difference between good and great. And right. and, and and just because you're a pastor, just because you're a Christian, that there's no guarantee that you've got the market cornered on that. In fact, it's a struggle area for a lot of people. Yep. Well, Todd, I want to ask you, okay, so not everybody's part of a growing church. They say, okay, great, nice about all this reproducing and like uh, multiplying. But what about... What about like minus to static? What about like, is there any hope for churches that are maybe in the subtracting or the plateaued or the merely growing stage? How do they become like, where's, where's the little beacon of light for organizations that are not obviously at the cusp of, of multiplying? Right. Uh, I'd say two things. Uh, we did a national study with Lifeway Research earlier this year to to actually identify the percentage of churches at each of the five levels. And so within the level one, two, and three, subtraction, plateau, and adding, uh, 35% subtracting, 35% plateauing. So a total of 70% of U.S. churches are either subtracting or plateauing, and then 30% uh, growing. Um, we then looked at 
within subtracting, plateauing, adding, what the percentages were of the, the reproducing churches out of that, how many of those churches were reproducing. And the good news is uh, you can be subtracting and still be reproducing. Hmm. You can be plateauing and still be reproducing. Um, you know, if you, if you take the core characteristics of subtraction, plateau, and addition, 100% of churches have one of those three things. The characteristics of reproducing, planting churches, sending people, if you think about it, that's not linked to what your attendance is. You can be a missionary sending hub and be subtracting in your numbers. So it's all about the sending impulse. Let me give you this example. The church that I became a Christian in uh, was a small church under 150 people. I became a Christian at 22. Um, They were plateaued or subtracting. And out of that church came Brett Andrews, the lead pastor at the church I'm at now that's planted 280 churches, Troy McMahon, who went to Dave Ferguson's church and then went and planted in Kansas City and has planted over 10 churches, Uh, Pat Ferguson, who's leading a national ministry called Passion for Planting. You've got this small church of under 150 that's plateaued or declining, and if you added up the number of church plants that have come out of that little church that was subtracting or plateauing, it's astounding. Exponential would not exist if that church didn't exist that was subtracting and plateauing. So wow. there's there's good news for churches that are subtracting and plateauing. It's, it's not about how do we jump the level five multiplication. If we bring this back to, it's all about how we add. Are we sending disciple makers to take our community, our city, to start new churches. It's about who we're sending, not what we're building or accumulating. And just to give a second word of testimony there, um, while Todd was describing that, I actually was reminded of my own church I grew up in, because I grew up in a, um, it was a small Baptist church that you would never put on a list, you know, to talk about things, but it's it's a similar pedigree when you look around the country and people that came out of there. And what I realized was that even though there wasn't growth, there was a mentality that they were inculcating in the members and that was, hey, it's, it, give your, it was through mission trips. We went on all these mission trips and uh, ministries in the in the in the downtown. You know, it, it was just this mentality that, like, you know, you should be. This is your responsibility. I, I don't think God intends every church to mushroom to gargantuan size, but I think there's a, a an area of faithfulness that they can have in developing a reproducing and a multiplying mentality that may that may get a benefit elsewhere, like you know the church I grew up in is now getting the benefit, I think, of what I'm seeing in the, in the summit church. I will also say just, you know, and a little bit more on the pragmatic side that, you know, the late Peter Drucker used to say that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst problems is that you go to one of these conferences and you hear somebody like Todd get up and talk and you're like, oh, I got to go do this in my church. And you go back and you try a program and it fails. Um, when what you got to do is you got to inculcate the culture that, you know, over time, then, you know, to use Jim Collins, that flywheel gets spinning and then it's, it's easy. Well, um, you know, for, for, for us, like these mission trips, we, we were just sending people overseas and it probably was not that good of an investment other than the fact that it taught people this mentality of like, hey, here's what we're seeing around the world. It should also be happening in the triangle. And that was what really started to produce the culture that ended up leading to the, to, to the multiplication. I think, Carrie, in that culture part, if, if we go back to the be fruitful and multiply part of this, 
And let, let's just go back to Adam and Noah. And, and if we looked at the multiplication chain that happened out of Noah and Adam, okay, it, it, it they could have stopped after one or two cycles of reproduction and there would not have been fruitfulness of multiplication. It was reproducing once, twice, three times, four times. Four levels of reproduction into the future is what gives you multiplication. And in order to get it four generations into the future, you have to establish the culture. You're not going to get there without it being a cultural thing if it's not embedded in the culture. Well, and I appreciate what you said, what you both said about um, smaller churches. It made me think about the church that I grew up in, my formative years from 10 to like uh, heading off to university. And it wasn't a particularly vibrant last three decades. I mean, I think they're down to under 100 people in attendance, but I'm so grateful for the formation that that had on me. And I think often, you know, you look at these little churches that nobody would ever know the name of and these pastors who will probably never make Outreach Magazine, and yet you don't know who's sitting under your ministry. You don't know about that 14-year-old in your youth group or that 23-year-old sitting in the back row looking like he's falling asleep. Um, You have no idea what God is going to do with that life. So I think if you're focused on quality um, and being faithful with discharging the responsibility you have, it's amazing to see. And you may never know. Like You may just never know who's passed through or the impact or the influence that you have. Um, Let's go a little bit more into the study that you did earlier this year with Lifeway. So what percentage, you said something earlier, Todd, in the interview that really caught my ear. You said you need 16% of something for it to, what, catch on, be a trend? Yeah, sociologists would tell you, Mm -hmm. if you just what sociologists find, if you can get 16% of a population behaving a certain way, it becomes the new normal. Literally, if you could get 16% of the room quacking like a duck, the rest of the room will quack like it. It's like you we'll got to get to quack. The 16%. So that's the tipping point? That's the, that's the tipping point. Mm. Um, just so a handful of us were to start quacking like a duck, we would all do it. So, Todd, why don't you lead off there? That's <laughs> 33%. I'm probably out, but you guys go ahead. <laughs> so uh, just a handful of years ago, the best of our ability, we, we were at about 4% of U.S. churches reproducing a decade ago. Uh, This study with LifeWay found that we're at about 7%. So, you know, we've got quite a ways to go, but the needle is moving the right direction. Um, About uh, somewhere around 80 to 85% of lead pastors under 40, and that's the key, lead pastors under 40, 80 to 85% see multiplication and reproduction as a primary metric for the future. That is a significant shift from previous generations. So even though we're only at 7%, need to get to 16%, things are moving the right, right direction. And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna be the wet blanket on that because I'm very excited about that. It's a little bit like uh, when Tim Keller went to New York City, something like 1% of Manhattan was in church. And by the time he stepped out of the lead role, it was like three or 4%. I might have the percentages wrong. Sounds like nothing, but that's actually Herculean. Like if right. you if you think about the impact in the office bank, the uh, average bank tow, uh, tower in downtown Manhattan, like you got a company of a hundred, three of those people will now be in church rather than one. It it's yeah. astounding, Carrie. If 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 just a one percent change in U.S. churches, 
only did one generation of church planting. That's a big number. But now imagine if it's true reproduction to the fourth generation, that 1% of churches today reproduce four generations into the future. That changes the spiritual landscape of America. One, I, 1% change. If you want to um, nerd out for a minute here, um, yeah. a really unlikely um, source here, um, Rodney Stark is a church historian, and he writes a lot about the first centuries of the church. And one of the myths that he debunks is we have this image in the early church of like when the apostles are done, there being like millions of Christians everywhere. He's like, mm-hmm. actually go back to the first century. We, it was dramatic growth, but not dramatic like you're thinking of with Billy Graham filling up stadiums. He said, but there was this, that what happened is, is every generation that was being produced was multiplying. Right. And so by the time you get to 150 AD, 200 AD, that's when you start to see this tipping point of explosion. Um, I know that we've got some new challenges in the Western world and everybody's writing the obituary of the church, but I'm seeing a new thing that God is doing, which is restructuring it. I love Billy Graham and I love the crusades, but, um, or the, you know, the evangelistic crusades. Um, I don't want somebody clipping that and being like, JD loves the crusades. Um, (laughs) Crusades. Um, and, but, you know, I see, you see a tip, you know, where, where as, as we invest, you know, a hundred years of multiplication, um, maybe we'll get to a similar tipping point where we will see another massive, uh, you know, gospel awakening that's similar to what they had in the first three centuries of the church. How do you, um, cause that, that younger leader fact and some of the background material, and we're going to get to the outreach magazine cover in a few minutes, but, uh, I'm pretty sure this is in, uh, the outreach magazine that's coming out around the time that this podcast will be released. But when you look at the vast majority of church planters under 40, church leaders wanting to reproduce churches, back to what you were talking about earlier, JD, it almost feels like, you know, in the same way that lead pastors used to compare attendance, how big's your church? Well, how big's your church? How big's your church, right? It's almost like, well, how many locations do you have? Well, how many churches? How do you make sure that's not a vanity metric? How do you make sure that isn't like, or that it's just unhealthy? You're forcing something to reproduce that shouldn't be reproducing. Yeah, well, I feel like there were two separate questions there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do the first one because it feels easier to me. Yeah. <laughs> Second one, I'll let Todd handle that one. Um, but, you know, the first one, they're really obviously, Carrie, there's no antidote for pride. I mean, the human heart's going to figure out anything to be proud of, even how, how good it is at managing pride. It's going to figure out a way to do that. Um, you know, the, 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 the gospel's answer to pride is, is understanding more about the gospel itself, which is that, you know, there is no good in you apart from about the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the more in touch you become with the gospel, the more pride seems to not make sense. The second answer is, is just, you know, like my, my wife has this great statement. Um, my wife is kind of the opposite of me in, um, in terms of how she's wired. Like if I tend more toward the ambitious, she tends more toward the, you know, kind of like just being very content. And, you know, she's always warning me, you know, she'll say, she says, JD, fame that you seem so bent on going after. Fame is making yourself accessible to a bunch of people you don't really care about at the expense of those few that you do. And it's always saying you need to, you need to, you need to maintain real relationships because especially as we watch just with heartbreak, you know, just what seems to be a litany of high profile pastors that are just falling by the wayside. You know, it's, it's, it's those real relationships that ultimately keep you grounded with people that aren't really that impressed with you um, because of what they read in Outreach Magazine and because of what they see you do on the stage. I had a chance to talk with Paul Tripp um, not long ago, and he's like the you know the pastor's counselor. I wrote a great book called Dangerous Calling. 
Paul Tripp, uh, we were backstage somewhere at some conference, and I just said it was another one of these stories that come out about somebody that I thought would never would never fall, you know, as um, did. And and uh, I said, I said, I said, Paul, what is like? What's the common denominator? He said, Oh, it's, it's it, there's always two things you'll find. He said, Number one is a lack of peer community. He said, I don't mean like a community because all these guys are extroverts. He said, But a lack of peer no, people quit being able to look him in the eye and say, I don't like how you talk to your wife. They don't have that kind of community where they live. And they have this kind of, you know, network of guys that they call once every three months as if, you know, they're going to be able to see. My accountability group. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, he said, the second thing is they forget the power of indwelling sin. They forget that you never really move past, you know, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And he said, when those two things come together, he says, that's like Chernobyl. You know, you got the two right factors at once and it, it leads to a meltdown. And so, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, I want to reproduce as fast as I can and, and do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be so invested in this local community with a group of people that aren't that impressed with me that hopefully that'll at least help challenge some of the other roots of pride. No, that's good. And then what about, what about the second part of the question where you're reproducing something like, can you reproduce something that shouldn't be reproduced? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, is there a point at which you're like, like, is there a litmus test or how do you know you're ready to multiply or reproduce? Well, clearly Todd's going to give you a great answer here. Clearly the answer is yes, because Al, you know, Al Qaeda and Muslim terrorist networks reproduce, yeah. you know, unhealthy things clearly can. Cancer can re- reproduces. Yeah. Right. So, but you know, I do, I will say that in mega church world, it's harder for the wrong kinds of churches to reproduce because they're usually so focused on, on, on one entity, you know, kind of building itself. Whereas reproduction naturally, even, you know, biologically, there's a generosity in the, the, the reproduction process because you are, are, are becoming different organisms that don't all connect or feed into of all the churches that we planted not one time have I ever had one come back and say, hey, you know, we got a lot of uh, a lot of excess money in our budget and we'd like to give it back to you. You know, I always say that church plants are like teenagers. All they want is your money and your affirmation and then for you to leave them alone. That's all they want. Um, and so, you know, it's there's a natural kind of uh, thing that, that kind of makes healthier churches tend to reproduce more. But I don't, you know, yeah, I think, you know, maintaining your doctrine, your folk, all that stuff is going to be critical too. Mm. Uh, tell us about the Outreach Magazine article. There's a whole cover story. It's the first time there's ever a list of the top 100 reproducing churches. And did I did I hear you say, maybe it was in our email exchange, Todd, that they couldn't even produce a list like this a decade ago or 15 years ago? Well, yeah, let me clarify that. Uh, a decade ago, they did a similar list, 25, reproducing, 25 top reproducing churches with Lifeway, and we helped in that. And it uh, Ed Stetzer was behind it. Uh, it was difficult to find and validate the 25 churches a decade ago. And even when you looked at the list of the 25, by the time you got down halfway and beyond on the list, uh, it wasn't necessarily anything to write home about. You could easily argue 10 years ago that uh, this idea of reproduction multiplication being a normative measure of success uh, was hard to find. Today, uh, outreach you know, and kudos to them. They've had their list of fastest growing and largest growing churches for years, their top issue. Um, they're now dedicating a third of the magazine to uh, reproducing churches. And here's the good news. We don't need to try to find the top 100 churches. We had no problem finding 100 reproducing churches this time around. No problem. In fact, 
Each of those hundred churches answered three or four questions. We turned that into a narrative document from those hundred churches. You want to talk about encouraging the stories of these hundred churches, their scorecard, where they're headed. Here's my prediction. If 35, 40 years ago, we were on the front end of the church growth movement giving us the mega church, we sit at, at the intersection right now that the next 30 to 40 years are the reproducing church movement. And it, I mean, there's, I'm optimistic for the church just from the stories of these hundreds. So here's what we did. We didn't come up with the top 100. We came up with 100 reproducing churches. And now we're quickly taking that list to 1,000 reproducing churches and then to 10,000 reproducing churches. Wow. The goal is to try to take this viral to help the average pastor see that there is a better scorecard. There is a better way. This idea of a reproducing church, uh, we, we really want to move this needle from 7 to 10 to 12 to 16 percent. Uh, and so kudos to Outreach for uh, putting in this list of 100 reproducing churches. Yeah, they, they change the conversation, I think, in a very healthy way, which is which is great. Right. They're going to start. It's really fun what they're doing. I mean, they've been focused on the largest and fastest growing in future issues now. Anytime they're featuring a church, if they feature JD's church on something in the future, not only will they indicate that he's one of the fastest, largest growing, they'll indicate that he's a reproducing church. So future future articles about churches will indicate whether a church is reproducing or not. Um, wow. They, they really are going to help us change the conversation and the value proposition of uh, of what success looks like. J.D., anything about the lists or, or reproducing churches? And this is the, the September issue of Outreach? September issue. It comes out here. It'll be out by the time the uh, podcast is out. Yeah. yeah, no, the thing is to, get, to circle back around to what you just said a minute ago is that you know, for, uh, you know, the one thing that God punished David for was for counting all the Israelites. So I realize there's a book in the Bible named Numbers, so we're not wrong to count numbers. But, um, you know, we, we also just, there ought to be a, a sense in which, man, you know, let's let's let God grow his church, get glory for his church. And, you know, the limitations never in in him, it's always in us, as we just say, you know, I always think of James, I, I wonder how many times James 4 has explained why my church, why my prayers for our church have gone unanswered. You know, you, 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 you have not, you have not because you ask not, but you also ask and don't receive because you ask idolatrously. You, you, mm. you, you're for something personally in this that you really ought to find in me. Don't rejoice that you have a mega church or a reproducing church. Rejoice that your names are written down in the book of life because that's far more than you deserve. And so if we can just receive this with humility and walk the way of the cross, um, I don't know. There's just a lot that's hey, a book that I read along the way last year, um, you know, is uh, what's Kyle Strobel, um, The Way of the Dragon, The Way of the Lamb. It was just really it was a, I had our whole staff read it. It was really good heart kind of analysis of like, man, are we you know, are we are we doing the works of Jesus and the and the energy of the flesh? And so, man, you know, hear it with humility and, and walk forward. But I am incredibly encouraged by where the evangelism conversation is right now, because I do think as we saw in the first two or three centuries of the church, you're, you're, you're poised, not for the stadiums right now, but you're poised for, you're poised for multiplication, which is, has a much longer lasting effect. And here's what's fun with this edition, Kerry. Uh, the call to action in the outreach edition this time uh, is what's called the Church Multiplication Challenge. And if you remember the water bucket challenge a few years ago where you'd yeah. take the water bucket and then you'd tag 10 other people, 
That's what the call to action on this church multiplication challenge. A church will be able to go to reproducingchurches.org, just to reproducingchurches.org, and the church multiplication challenge is there. It's a simple three-step, read and endorse the manifesto for multiplication, take a short online free assessment to discover what level on the five levels that your church is at, and then share that you're making the commitment and tag 10 other people to take the church multiplication challenge. So, Oh, that's good. So it gives you really an assessment because I know, you know, we're all like, well, I think I'm level three. Yeah. I think we're level four, what, but you'll, you'll be able to tell. What we did carry was that when, when uh, Lifeway did the national study earlier this year, we literally took their survey questions and their protocol for scoring churches level one, two, three, four, five. And we turned that into a free online assessment tool. So if a church takes the assessment, it takes 20 minutes and it's free they will score level one, two, three, four, or five to see where they fit if they would have been surveyed by LifeWay in the study. And that's reproducingchurches.org? Right. Okay. Can I throw in one last thing here? Absolutely. Um, maybe something helpful for guys is, you know, you hear sometimes these things and you're like, man, I, I really want our church to do this, but I feel like we're not, we don't know where to start. Um, we started, as I mentioned, in my opinion, a little late in the game. Um, and we, uh, you know, the first, two, three churches that we, yeah, you can't, if, you, if you're listening audibly, you can't see me do air quotes, but we planted in air quotes mm-hmm. was basically my, me finding a, one that was out there uh, that was, that looked kind of sexy. And <laughs> I, I think the first three, we gave $10,000 to them each $10,000. And I think it was one a year. And that was our church plan. And it was us and like 40 other churches that did that. But I kept saying that was the church we planted last year. And, but, but what it did is it got us in the conversation um, we, we, our people took a mission trip up there. Um, I did what I always do in those situations. I go up there and act like I know a lot more than I really do. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And I'm the whole time I'm soaking it in. I'm taking notes. And after about our third one, I was like, I think we can, I think we can do this. And then we took the lead on one and other churches contributed there. Then that evolved into, well, now we have residents and we have you know, people that raise their money and we fund them and they come and do head hunting. You don't, you know, Rome's not built in a day. You just kind of start with something. So if you're Look and just find you a church plant, another church planting church. Reach out to Dave Ferguson's church and say, what you got in the Chicago area? And let me be a part of that. Let me give some money and and, and be able to have a relationship with them. I, I promise you, any of your listeners call me and want to give $10,000, we will make you a co-sponsor of the church. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You can start in the shallow end of the pool, and, right? And like, that's like, exactly what the church multiplication challenge tries to do. It doesn't try to take you from zero to 60. It's from zero to a step. It's to engage the game and take the first step. Good. Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate what Outreach is doing. Exponential has been a a, a thought leader in this conversation. And they've been, um, yeah, they've been sparking it. And so, man, it's it's great. great. It's great to see what the Spirit of God is doing in multiple quadrants of his kingdom. And talking to you and Dave, too, Todd, when Dave Ferguson, like, this is the hill you're going to be planted on for a long, long time, reproducing, multiplying churches, which is which is great. I think it's a uh, conversation and a landscape changer. Um, so September issue of Outreach Magazine, which you can get at, is it outreachmagazine.com? Right. right. Okay. Right. And then um, reproducingchurches.org. And of course, we'll link to everything in the show notes. JD, you got a brand new book as well too, continuing to write while we go along. We'll link to your latest book, all those things. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Gary, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Gary.
Well, guys, that was uh, super interesting and stimulating, and it was great to finally connect with J.D. Greer, and Todd Wilson has been a guest before. Uh, we do have show notes with all the links we talked about, so you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 287, or you can just um, you know type that into the Googles, my name and Todd's or J.D.'s. It will pop up, and we have transcripts. Um, we have some episodes now on YouTube, not this one. Um, we're, we're getting there. They'll all at some point, I'm sure, be on video. Uh, but we got, well, at least a dozen now of the archive and, um, make sure speaking of archive, we got 300 episodes and five years of this podcast, which is just exceptional. And we're celebrating by stacking your library. Okay. So we're going to give nine winners, five books of your choice from any podcast alumni. You pick it, you know, hopefully not the rare edition worth $10,000, but, uh, yeah, we'll stack your library with Henry Cloud, John Townsend, um, J.D. Greer, Todd Wilson, um, Ann Voskamp, Lisa Turkhurst, Henry Cloud, Erwin uh, McManus. I mean, who do you want? We just, Andy Stanley, Francis Chan, Patrick Lencioni. My goodness, I've got all of his books. So yeah, who do you want? Just go back over the list, scroll through, decide if you're a winner. We'll give you five of those books. Details are on my Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and all the links are in the show notes as are transcripts for this episode. And don't forget the amazing offer of ProWebFire.com, brand new website service from our friends at ProMediaFire. Use the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, 2019 when you check out. You'll get a free website when you choose your plan this month. Well, we are back next week with a fresh episode Really excited this time around for David Kinneman. David is back on the podcast. It's been a couple of years. We did this one live and in person when he was in Toronto. It's going to be a fascinating interview. You don't want to miss it. And in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening. I so appreciate you. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.